Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. I'm your host, Chaz Robbins, and today on our episode, we're talking about navigating change as a church leader. We're doing this by looking at the epistle Paul wrote to Philemon, because in this epistle, we think he gave us a vision for how we can navigate change as a church leader. To get started, I guess when I think about an epistle and read and study uh, an epistle, I've heard before that it's like listening to one side of a phone conversation. I think that's a good way to look at it. Really, we only need one side of the conversation to be able to tell what the conversation is about, but it's really helpful to understand the greater context and what's happening on the other end of the line um, to be able to know, especially you know, for our instance with what Paul's trying to say, understand that greater context so that we can greater understand what Paul is saying. So, Scott, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, what's going on on the other side of the line that we need to know? Yeah, that's right. And I and I have used this uh, about one end of a phone conversation myself. I have heard it. I learned it from someone else long ago when I was a student, and I think it's very accurate. Is that all we get here is Paul's rhetoric, Paul's letter, Paul's language. We don't know what Philemon thought. We don't know the correspondence uh, that Paul had perhaps had with Philemon. We don't know uh, very much about the relationship of Philemon and Paul. Other than that, Paul says, you owe me your very life, which rhetorically is powerful and at the same time probably means that Philemon had become a Christian uh, as a result of Paul's ministry. We don't know Philemon's relationship to Onesimus. So there are pieces of this uh, puzzle that we put, do have to put together uh, and, and to consider at one end of a phone conversation. But Paul's clear enough here, and he is at times pointed and general enough that his uh, letter to Philemon can function very well to help us understand how to approach leaders in the church, how to approach elders in the church, how to approach people in the church, parents, on uh, the importance uh, or and how to make changes in the church. I, I think Paul provides here a brilliant template uh, at pastoral level of how to talk to people about significant even cataclysmic changes in the churches. Yeah, so this letter that Paul wrote, do you think this was specifically to Philemon, or was this uh, you know, a greater letter to be read for the whole church? I know it mentions you know, meeting in his house. Uh, is there a distinction there that's important? Well, I think the, the key thing is that in, Phile- in Philemon, you know, it doesn't have any chapters, so it's not one, one, it's just one. In Philemon 1, Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, which means that Timothy had a major contribution to this letter. Paul's no plagiarist. Paul uh, and Timothy to Philemon. And the NIV puts in um, sort of, you know, a, a break. And also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And then it resumes the conversation to Philemon and to the church that meets in your home. That's a very reliable and fair translation of trying to put together to whom this letter is addressed. But Paul addresses this letter to one person, 
from verses four on, he's concerned with one person. That's going to be Philemon and the church that meets at his house. So Paul is addressing Philemon, and in addressing Philemon, he's addressing everyone in that church, including almost certainly Onesimus, who is now a brother in Christ, a son of Paul, uh, and who is now a part of the church. And so in addressing Philemon, he is asking Philemon to let the kingdom take deep root in this small house church in Colossae and do things that were radical for that day. So I guess we could say the the address from Paul is to one person, but the implications is really for the entire community as what will be affected. Yeah, I mean, okay, here's the way I want to put this, is Paul sets up Philemon in verses 1 through 7. Because we know what Paul is going to do in verses 8 through 22, which is a a long appeal for, for Onesimus that my friend Ben Witherington calls insinuatio, mm-hmm. uh, which is in, like our word insinuation, but it's, an, uh, it's a case of indirection. Paul gently, and never overtly, but gently one time after another, is appealing for the manumission or the emancipation of Onesimus from slavery to be set free so that he can work with Paul in gospel ministry. So Paul says, um, eventually, he's going to say in verse 17, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul has said that formerly he was useless to you. His name, Onesimus, means useful. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. Um, He calls him his, he wants uh, Philemon to accept him no longer as a slave, he says, but better than a slave, or the common English Bible has more than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is asking Philemon, to take a radical step here. And almost everyone agrees that Onesimus is a runaway slave. Mm -hmm. As a runaway slave, he was in deep, deep jeopardy. There were were basically, there were some laws of protection, but not much. And Mm -hmm. slaves didn't use, they they rarely could appeal to magistrates or to legal uh, courts for some senses of justice. It did happen occasionally. But by and large, if he's a runaway and he returns, uh, it's not going to be good. He could be shackled. He could be chained. He could be beaten severely. Um, he it's not going to be, be a warm homecoming it, for him. It's going to be bad. He doesn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. But he becomes a Christian somehow. We don't know exactly how. He becomes a Christian under Paul's ministry and Paul does not want to keep him uh, as a runaway. He wants Philemon to accept him, and he wants Philemon to release him, and he wants to create. Now, now here, here's the thing you have to think about, Chaz. If you, uh, Philemon has a slave. Most slave owners, remember this, Philemon is a slave owner. 
Most slave owners in the Roman Empire did not have just one slave. Mm-hmm. Philemon very likely had the legal, the, the non-legal status of a husband and a father, which would mean you know he had a wife, but legally you couldn't get married as a slave. So, so Philemon, uh, uh, Onesimus is a slave, probably has a wife, probably has children. There are probably other slaves in the household. Mm-hmm. And now think about this. When Paul makes this appeal in this letter to emancipate, to welcome him as a brother in Christ, rather than as a slave, more than a slave, better than a slave, as a brother, as a son, he is, a, he is going to set open, uh, he's going to open a door where every slave in that house is now going to say, well, if Onesimus is liberated because of what has happened to him in Christ, and if Onesimus was a runaway, and even as a runaway got liberated, how about us? Yeah. So Philemon now, here's something else we have to imagine, which I think is one of the most charming, uh, I guess the word, I guess we could use the word charming, but but one of the most potent, poignant moments uh, in my own study of this, of this letter is to realize and imagine our way into the first century and to see Philemon listening to this letter read publicly because and many people think Onesimus is the letter reader, the courier. Mm-hmm. I, I, we don't know that for yeah. sure. But it, the, the way he's described, it's, it's often the way couriers are described. Uh, all the eyes are on Philemon. The letter courier and the lector or the reader of the letter standing there with the authority of the Apostle Paul. Uh, even if that authority, self-denied by Paul, he doesn't want to use that authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, he, if he's denied it, uh, he's still being heard in this letter. And we need to realize up until this moment, uh, nobody in that church, and not Philemon, but the courier and Onesimus and whoever else is with them from Paul, all know what's going to happen when this letter is read publicly. They knew the contents yeah. and they knew the purpose. So the head of the household, Philemon, a man of status and power is about to be confronted by the Apostle Paul with a request. And however skilled Paul is in not coming out directly and being too bold and telling Philemon what he has to do, everyone in the room understands what Paul is saying to them when this letter is being read. And we have to realize that Philemon's will and his heart are put into, are locked into, cornered into the mode of decision. Yeah. And Onesimus's hands are sweating in hope, thinking, if he liberates me, this is going to be awesome. And the other slaves are sitting there saying, wow, I, if it happened to him, it can happen to me. Now, here, here's what, here's what uh, I'd like to, to say about this letter for changes in our church. So, Let's just admit that a very plausible and the common reading of this letter is that the Apostle Paul denies his apostolic authority 
and says, I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. I could do this in confidence. I want you to treat me as a brother. I don't want to use any authority here. But I want Onesimus emancipated. I want him liberated for the sake of the gospel. I want you to surrender him as an employee in that sense, as someone who produces money for you. And I'm going to ask you to do this on the basis of gospel work. And as a result of this, I'm going to do I'm going to ask you to embody in this church the liberating power of the gospel yeah. so that kingdom roots take deep and slaves are set free so that there will be neither slave nor free in this church. Now, if we accept that as the social condition, we learn from Paul how to approach people when we want to change. Mm hmm. So that that's that's sort of the uh, and we can talk about that, but I uh, I'll I'll hand it over to you to see if you have any questions about this at, at this point. Yeah, well, I just love how you know you kind of laid it out there as opening the door to the community, and I kind of see Philemon kind of thrust up on stage a little bit there with this letter that's being you know read into his community, and he now has the opportunity. Am I going to walk through this open door of kingdom living to um, deepen and, and allow the, the roots of Jesus's life that he's calling me to, to take deeper roots in my life, and the implications being, I mean, he's got skin in the game. This is going to affect him financially. This is going to affect him socially and yep. yep. his relationships. It's going to affect him in, in very many ways in his life. And, you know, he now has the opportunity to, to live out and to bring the kingdom into a, a greater reality in his community. And I, I love how that's just the reality of following Jesus. You know, that's just the reality of, of living in his kingdom. And yeah. when we do that, man, it is difficult. We're, we're called to do difficult things. But when we do the, the freedom and liberation, not only of ourselves that Philemon would experience and not being bound to the, the structures of his particular society and culture that he was a part of, but the, the freedom that he gives Onesimus, his family, and also a vision for the other members of his community that um, it, it is really revolutionary and uh, alter mindset to probably a lot of the yeah. world, but but is is really attractive, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, um, when slaves were sold, I'm going to imagine a slightly different scenario here. When slaves were sold in the first century, they were taken to, let's just say, in Rome, they're taken near the Temple of Castor, which is in the Roman Forum. There's a corner where they're sold. They're put up on a stand or a block, and uh, you know they're they're probably naked, and uh, they're inspected by the slave purchasers, and they ask questions and they have to wear a tag around their neck that describes any kind of deformities or any kind of problems and any kind of questions could be asked, and you're the person who owned them at the moment could could sell them. Let's imagine now that Onesimus is no longer, uh, he's not the courier, but he's in the congregation. And let's, let's rhetorically stand him on a block and now read this letter to Philemon and have Philemon look at Onesimus and say, are you going to hand this man over to the apostle Paul and emancipate him? 
Now that that is a dramatic moment in this letter, but but pastorally, yeah. what I see Paul doing here is the first thing that is so obvious to the Apostle Paul about the Apostle Paul's pastoral strategy is his theology is straight. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God has broken in, but it has to break in with people who have not yet seen this vision or who have seen the vision but have not yet implemented it or who have to find creative, new, innovative ways and experiments of living in the kingdom. And what Paul does here is the first thing he does is he refuses to use his authority. He refuses to use his power. He refuses to coerce. This letter does not begin Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which is typical for Paul. Instead, it begins Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He has lined himself up in the status of, with the status of a slave, someone who is imprisoned by the Roman Empire on trial, and he's putting himself with Onesimus. And in verse 8, he says, although in Christ I could be bold, bold enough to order you to do what you ought to do. Now, yeah. that's clear what this means, mm-hmm. but he could do this. But no, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. So Paul, first of all, refuses to use authority. And this is one of the biggest mistakes in churches. Mm-hmm. People who are in the pews, ordinary lay people, people who are ordinary Christians, know when the pastor, when the leaders are using their power and their authority. Mm -hmm. They know when they're using that power and authority when they're not really in touch and they're not really communicating with the people and they're not really expressing what the people wants. They want something and the people in the church don't want it. Mm-hmm. So they use their power or they think they're in touch and they're not. They haven't listened carefully enough. That's one of the biggest mistakes I make. And the people in the church that I see, uh, it's, it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see made in leaders. Uh, the other side is this, is lay people feel coerced, forced, abused. And one of the reasons people leave churches today is those pastors didn't listen to what the people in the church wanted. Mm-hmm. But a good pastor, a good leader who wants to effect change in a church follows the strategy of Paul, which is the strategy of Jesus, that though he had, he was equal with God, he chose not the path of authority and power and might and coercion. Instead, he took upon himself the form of a slave. There you go. And he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And then he was exalted. So Paul adopts the strategy of cruciformity, according to Michael Gorman. I like to use the expression Christiformity Mm -hmm. uh, because it's cross and resurrection. Um, Is that Paul adopts that strategy rather than the strategy of coercion. Mm -hmm. And so instead of making people do something, instead of compelling people to do something, instead of rhetorically Uh, trying to argue people to do something, Paul says, I'm going to appeal to you as a partner. I'm going to appeal to you as one who loves you and you love me, that we have this partnership in faith. Uh, He he says, "I, I want you to respond to me as a person because you love me, because I love you, 
and I want you to respond in a way that you're completely in agreement with, and I want you to respond in a way that expresses the kingdom of God. I want you to bring the kingdom of God into living existence. I think it means liberation of Onesimus, but I'm not going to make you do that. Uh, so I, I totally agree with that, that, you know, Paul is playing the same uh, path of leadership that Jesus modeled and, and lived out in um, that uh, of love and of care and invitation for people. Um, just to play the devil's advocate a little bit, I wonder how you know, we keep this in tension and contrast with uh, some of other Paul's more direct words of instructions to like the Corinthian community. And, um, you know, they surely were doing some very uh, immoral and proper and um, just simply flat out wrong things that he was very direct to them about in, in church discipline and you know that church discipline being within the discipleship and, and as well in some you know other places you know for example Galatians you know he's he's very to the point and straightforward and I just wonder how how, how do we balance that how you know how do we make sure um, that that um, that part of Paul's writing is, is true as well when we look at this yeah I mean this is the whole dilemma of servant leadership isn't it. Mm-hmm. Servant leadership at times has to assert itself. The leader is a, is not a leader if the leader is not leading. You know, I mean, this is part of the issue. Um, I would put it this way: there are there uh, there is a time to to uh, use the cruciformity strategy of of Philemon, and there is another time when we have to be a leader and call people to follow the direction that we think God is calling us to. Uh, when you coerce, uh, you are no longer being a leader. Uh, then you're being forceful and you're no longer following the pattern of Christiformity. Uh, there are times, the, let's say theologically, someone is, is teaching something that is really goofy. This is where, you know, we take people to the side and say, you know, what you're teaching is contrary to historic Christian doctrine, or maybe you're in a denomination and you say, you know, this is contrary to what our church believes. And, and uh, you know, part of your leadership is to, is to agree with these kinds of theological positions. So there is a time to correct. Uh, one of the words Paul uses in Greek is nuthetao. Uh, the word is admonish. It's, it's an instructing, admonishing, correcting mentality. And the word of God does this to us. So I, I think that there is a time to instruct and admonish um, on the part of leaders. There is, a, there is a time for leaders to lead and to go ahead and to call people to follow. But Paul is, is now in a situation that is tricky and difficult and requires discernment. It requires maturation on the part of Philemon and the church in Colossae that meets in his house. It requires uh, agreement rather than uh, conformity, and Paul's strategy in that context. And of course, you know, this isn't uh, a foolproof method for every theological or every pastoral problem we face. But clearly in this letter, Paul believes that the strategy of getting Philemon to emancipate his slave. Mm-hmm. Now, I got to tell you, this is a big moment. Mm-hmm. This is a big issue. This is no small 
uh, adjustment. No. You know, should we wear choir robes or not? Yeah. Or <laughs> what color of the carpet? <laughs> should we wear bow ties uh, or should we wear regular ties? Uh, this is this is no small moment in Pauline ministry. This is the emancipation of a slave for the sake of the gospel. So there's a lot of factors at work, and Paul is being a leader, and uh, Paul Paul makes it clear that I could be bold in Christ, uh, but I'm not going to. And, and I all I, I sit around and wonder uh, because I think about these things and I have time to do it. I sit around and wonder what would have happened if Philemon said no. Would Paul have then said? Okay, now I'm going to be an apostle here, and you're going to have to do this. Yeah, I don't think he would have. I think Paul's relationship with Philemon is such that he can talk to him like this, and he can expect him to respond because Philemon loves Paul, and Paul loves Philemon. They both love Onesimus, and they want what's best for the sake of the gospel. Mm. And and I think that this is a pastoral strategy. It is a strategy for church leaders, and it is a strategy that lay people would love to see in operation in their churches. Absolutely. I've been, I've been around good leaders in my life. Not every leader I've been around has been good, but I've been around some good leaders, and the, the best leaders are totally in touch with the people they're leading. Mm-hmm. The president of Northern Seminary, Bill Shield, our, our new president, has amazed me with his skill at communicating with people across the spectrum of our school. Students know him and love him. Staff know him and love him. He's only been here a month. Yeah. And he's constantly in communication with us about what's going on. And he's a brilliant example of what Paul's doing here. He, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure down the road, He's going to have some ideas for what Northern Seminary can be and should be, and he's going to set out his vision. But I am absolutely certain when he sets out his vision and begins to chart the state of the seminary and where we're going to go, that Bill Scheele is going to have been in so much touch with everyone that when he says these things, we're going to say, well, that's what we wanted. And I think that's exactly what Paul did. He evoked in Philemon, you know, Paul, that's what I want to do too. I know that God's grace has transformed me. I know the kingdom of God has taken root in Colossae. And I know that Onesimus failed me by running away. And I'm going to forgive him when I welcome him. It's going to be like the prodigal son. And I'm going to liberate him so that he can go forth with gospel ministry, and we're going to do something in this household that has never been done in the Roman Empire before. Yeah. So let's end with that, that question. You know, so let's suppose, which hopefully, and, and I think we have good evidence to say Philemon um, did say, yes, I'll go ahead and emancipate Onesimus. Um, what's, what's the community? You know, what happens to the community, the, the rest of the story that we don't have from Scripture? Because like we said earlier, you know, we're listening to one side of the, the phone call. But what do you think? What happens on the other end of the line when um, Philemon says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to walk through this open door. I'm going <coughs> to live out this kingdom reality that Paul's calling me to as a follower of Jesus. And how do you think the community changes? 
Well, I, I, I want to base what I'm saying here on a Pauline vision for the new fellowship. I call it a fellowship of difference in my book, A Fellowship of Difference. Um, and that's E-N-T-S. Galatians 3.28 says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. Uh, that's early. I think that's an early letter in the Pauline ministry. And then later in Colossians 3.11, a letter written at nearly and maybe the identical time that Philemon is written, Paul can say there is neither in Christ or, you know, whatever, uh, in Christ there is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, barbarian, uh, he says, Scythian, barbarian, slave or free. So I think Paul has this vision that in the church, in these house churches, in the oikonomia there is the Greek word, the household, and Philemon would be the leader of this household. Paul believed that within the confines of this new household, there was a power of God and the grace of God unleashed in such a way that they began to experience family life across the board and apart from status and apart from power and authority, that it was a charismatic, inspired movement the Spirit of God was creating new relationships, new kinds of fellowship, and tearing down walls that separated people. And Paul would be creating a society of equality, a society of equals that maybe in the public realm, we're still going to operate in status categories, but inside the walls of this new household, mm -hmm. uh, there was an experiment of fellowship that was going to transform the Roman Empire. And this experiment of fellowship is the same opportunity we as the church have today to be a community that's transformative no matter what society or culture we are a part of. But if we're to have this type of community, it means we're going to have to go through changes the church. There'll be change that we'll face in structures. There'll be change in systems that we have. There will be change in relationships that we'll have to go through. And we hope today this vision that we've been given from Paul to lead through change and navigating change as a church leader has been helpful to think through how you want to be a leader to take people where ultimately they want to go in living out these kingdom realities. But they wouldn't be able to get there if it wasn't for the ways that God is working through you as a leader in their life. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to Kingdom Roots, it would make Scott and I's day if you logged on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe to our conversation. Because we wouldn't want you to miss any of our conversations we have coming up about how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Mm -hmm.